have come to the end of this uh, series that we've been uh, walking through uh, many times that Jesus uh, sat down at a meal uh, with people and connected with them. It seems like uh, maybe we should have planned a potluck for today, I guess, to uh, kind of culminate. Uh, sorry we didn't do that. I'm guessing you're already full to the brim with uh, turkey and all the trimmings and your fridges are full and you can't wait to get back there and have a turkey sandwich. Well, hang in there. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it's a... Uh, a it's been interesting for me, hopefully for you as well, that uh, so many times that Jesus gathered uh, and used the setting of a meal in order to uh, to connect with people. Uh, a man by the name of uh, Dr. Tim Chester wrote a book called A Meal with Jesus, and, and he wrote a little bit about the role that food plays in our lives. He says, our relationship to food is ambiguous. Television chefs have become celebrities. Cookbooks are regular... Uh, And cookbooks regularly appear on bestseller lists, yet we cook less than ever before. Americans spend over $50 billion on dieting each year, $50 billion to solve the problem of food gone wrong, he says. At any given moment, 25% of American men and 45% of women are dieting. Only 9% of college-aged women have have never tried to control their weight through dieting. American Christians spend more on dieting than on world missions. Ugh, there's a sobering thought, right? We spend more curing our overconsumption than we do feeding the physically and spiritually hungry of the world. We express who we want to be through food. And when things go wrong, food becomes a place of refuge. The brokenhearted console themselves on the sofa with a tub of ice cream. You are what you eat, people say. Food is so much more than fuel. Because food is so much more than fuel, it also tends to be a great context of where we live life. We're always uh, sitting down to a meal or grabbing something to eat, and so we're connecting using that that food uh, as uh, as the context of of connection. Uh, Again, Dr. Tim, Tim Chester says food connects. It connects us with family. It turns strangers into friends, and it connects us with people around the world. Consider what you had for breakfast this morning. Tea, coffee, sugar, cereal, grapefruit, much of it was produced in another state or even another country. Food enables us to be blessed by people around the world and to bless them in return. And Jesus, who knew all things, uh, he knew who we were and how best to connect with us, used food many times uh, to, to do just that. There are three times in uh, in the Gospels where Jesus finishes this sentence. Uh, the Son of Man, he refers to himself many times as the Son of Man. Uh, the Son of Man came, and he, three different times he uses that, uh, that phrase. Uh, the first time he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, then in Luke 19, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then in Luke 7, he also says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. So the first two talk about uh, why he came, his purpose. Uh, the, the last one there tells how he chose to accomplish those things many times as he's eating and drinking his way into relationship with people. 
And so we've seen from from supper with a, a couple of people to feeding multitudes and everything in between, Jesus taught and connected with people over meals. And today is the last time in his earthly life when we see him doing it. it, it this time, Jesus actually cooked the meal. Uh, and, and it's not exactly, I know we call this dinner with Jesus. Uh, it's not exactly a dinner. Uh, it's actually breakfast on the beach with seven of his disciples. It's found in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Afterward... Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for there were they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if you want him to, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. The whole story begins with the word afterward. So we need to realize where and when this is all happening, right? So afterward, after what? Well, of course, this is after the crucifixion of Jesus. It's after the resurrection of Jesus. It was after he had appeared to Mary Magdalene. It was after he had appeared to the disciples twice. Once when Thomas wasn't there and once when Thomas was there. And uh, so then Thomas believed as well. It was after that, uh, it was after the angel at the empty tomb had told the women Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So the angel told uh, these women to tell the disciple, go tell the disciples and Peter. 
So why call out Peter specifically? Because this was perhaps the, the most significant after. After what? After Peter had denied Jesus three times on the night that he was crucified. Peter had failed Jesus miserably, and it sounds like Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter was there when he met with them in Galilee, that he knew specifically he was still invited. I don't, I don't think we need stories today of uh, times when you failed someone. Um, I would guess if I asked for a show of hands, you would always all say that at some point you have failed someone. I remember back, um, to uh, the days leading up to our first anniversary. And I, I knew that I needed to do something extra special, and I also knew that I didn't have much money to do it. And so uh, we, we, we planned that we would uh, try to get away. We were in, in seminary in Kansas City, so we'd try to get away somewhere. And, uh, and so we, uh, we booked a hotel in the ro- famous romantic getaway of Omaha, Nebraska. I'm telling you. Omaha. What happens in Omaha? No, I'm just kidding. We decided together, you didn't have much money, not that, just get away. So that wasn't the failure. Maybe, it, I don't know. Anyway, that was maybe part of it. So, so now I knew I had to do something extra special for the, uh, the uh, anniversary gift. Uh, I, I had caught on that, that jewelry would be great, uh, maybe a ring of some type. Uh, uh, we had, uh, through conversation, realized that I realized that maybe an emerald would be cool. And so I thought, well, let's go, uh, let's go figure that out. And so a few days before the anniversary weekend, I went to a local jewelry store there in town in Independence, Missouri, and, and I figured I'd get some personal service there at this, uh, this uh, small jewelry town that I wouldn't necessarily get at the, at the mall. And, and so I, 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 I would just figure out something, I'd, I'd get it, and we'd, I'd be all set. And so I explained to the jeweler that uh, what I'd like and that I really, uh, did, they really didn't have anything on hand that was a lot like what I was, I didn't really like any of the options that they had there. And so then they said, well, hey, why don't you just design a ring yourself? And I thought, well, how cool would that be? How awesome would I be at that? I mean, I'm awesome at everything else. I might as well be a ring designer, right? Failure is still slowly spiraling out of control, right? So, so I, you know, I'm picturing myself presenting this. Honey, not only did I get you a ring, I designed a ring for you. First anniversary. Wow. Turns out I don't have a whole lot of skill in designing jewelry. Um, the ring was fine. It wasn't awful it certainly wasn't great it wasn't but it was what i could afford and i had designed it and so i it was uh well really kind of more than what i could afford but the cheapest that i could get by with and uh and and so i uh, i i said okay and, and and kind of disappointed made made uh, made the most of things uh paid the deposit and then i said okay when can i pick this up and they said it'll be ready in a week to 10 days and this was wednesday and we were leaving Friday, and the anniversary was Sunday. And a week to 10 days takes us much further past that. That is where the failure finally uh, <laughs> finally reached its uh, pinnacle, I guess. Uh, somehow we made it through, and 25 and a half years later, we're still here. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, and, and there are many failure stories that I'm not telling you today. <laughs> that was uh, That was one of... Uh, one of the, uh, the early ones. Sometimes we fail people. Uh, sometimes we let people down. Um, sometimes it's not all that funny. Uh, a lot of times it's pretty serious. Uh, we could go through these stories of how we've let people down in our lives. 
Peter had a, had a history of failures, uh, usually because he got carried away and, and he didn't think. And so, so he just kind of took off and, and, and he would, he, his, his body and his actions would get ahead of his mind and, and he just kind of, uh, I mean, just a few things. Uh, uh, he was talking to Jesus and Jesus was telling about how he was going to have to be crucified and, and, and Peter said, no way. And Jesus had to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Well, that was Jesus telling Peter that Satan was actually directing his steps at that point. Uh, pretty, pretty uh, pretty much of a failure there for Peter. Uh, Peter was one of uh, just a few disciples that went up the mountain with Jesus and Jesus was transfigured before their eyes and, and they caught a glimpse of his heavenly glory and, and uh, all of them are just kind of basking in that glory and Peter says, hey, let's, uh, let's like build some shelters and stay here for a while. And uh, they, they, basically it was, Peter, get a grip. Uh, we're not about that. Uh, you're, you're getting distracted from what's most important. Uh, Peter was one of the disciples that Jesus called close to him in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed, and, and he said, just, just sit and pray for me. I'm in anguish, and uh, just pray for me. And he came back, and Peter and James and John were sound asleep, and that happened a couple of times, and he failed we talked a few weeks ago about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And when, when Jesus got to Peter, uh, Peter said, well, you're not going to wash my feet. And he said, well, I have to wash your feet or, or I'll, you'll, you'll have no part with me. And he said, well, then wash my whole body. And he said, Peter, just chill out. I'm going to wash your feet. And that's what it has to be. Uh, quit, quit making more of this than, than it needs to be. Here's maybe my favorite one. And maybe I'm reading a little bit into this. I don't know. But, but uh, uh, you know, the the... Disciples went with Jesus to the garden. The people came that uh, that evening to uh, arrest Jesus, and Peter pulled out his sword and uh, and he cut off somebody's ear. Right? I I'm convinced Peter was not aiming to cut off that guy's ear. This was a big failure because he was shooting to cut off the guy's head. Right? I mean, he was trying to. Whew, guy dips down, whew, cuts his cuts his ear off instead. Even in trying to defend Jesus, he uh, he he had a bit of a failure. Um, Peter had a history of stumbling and bumbling through life and through relationships. But his big failure on that night, after the garden and falling asleep, after cutting the guy's ear off, was that, uh, that, that he, he failed Jesus, not just in this bumbling kind of way, but failed, uh, failed Jesus and the relationship, right? And, and Jesus had predicted, and certainly it came true three different times, in order to avoid persecution, in order to not lose his place around the warm fire, uh, during Je- as Jesus was being interrogated and, and, and tortured, Peter denied that he even knew him. He had messed up. And Jesus knew it. But he also knew that he wasn't done with Peter. And so his specific instructions were these women need to, needed to invite the disciples and Peter go into Galilee where they'll see me. It appears then that the disciples had obeyed those instructions. So, so they had, they had seen Jesus a couple of times. They'd realized he was alive, but then he had said, go into Galilee and I'll meet with you there. And so, so, uh, they, they were in Galilee, but there weren't any more instructions. And so while they're there, Peter's sitting around and, and, uh, you know, it, it's it, not, nothing else to do, right? And so he says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go fishing. And several others went along. They weren't, some have suggested maybe they were abandoning the ministry and going back to their old way of life. There's no indication that they're going back to this long term, but simply they're hanging out in Galilee waiting for Jesus to show up again. And so they, they, uh, they, they went out and, and went fishing. And uh, while they were waiting, uh, while they were waiting there, uh, Peter says, uh, that while they're, while they're out fishing, 
it's, it's really not a great, get another failure, I guess. They go out fishing and Peter can't even catch a fish. So it, it would have been, I'm just picturing if I'm on that boat, uh, all the craziness and chaos of, of what's been going on and Jesus' uh, death and, and, and resurrection and then appearing and, and then saying, hey, wait for me. And, and uh, now they still don't see him again and there's still this, this failure in the back of his mind. And, and then he, they hear from shore as the sun is coming up, uh, didn't you get any fish? I'm guessing these disciples, uh, these fishermen, uh, I don't know, unwelcome advice, I think, probably, uh, as Jesus says. They didn't know it was Jesus yet. Hey, didn't you catch any fish? Well, try the other side of the boat. You know, that's how they would have, that's how it would have come across, right? Because fish, you know, side of the boat probably doesn't matter in normal days. But, but, uh, strangely enough, this stranger who turned out to be Jesus was completely correct. They caught 153 fish in a matter of minutes and they realized who, who, uh, who Jesus was and Peter, uh, jumps into the water and starts to swim to shore. Now, this is still kind of another failure because they're only about 100 feet from shore and as Peter's swimming up, uh, the boat comes up and they all get to shore about the same time, although Peter's now wet, right? But, uh, anyway, he's excited and that's, that's great. And so Jesus had already caught some fish. Uh, he it looks like he's even baked bread, um, enough for eight himself and these seven disciples. He tells them to bring a, uh, some, some more fish over, and they all had breakfast on the beach. And the last part of this story, the last half of the story, really, really gets us to why this meal would even be included in, uh, in, 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 the, in Scripture. This wasn't just a, a chance encounter for a barbecue on the beach. Everything about this story points to a purpose. As to why this happened. Jesus had left instructions again, especially Peter, to come. Uh, Jesus had cooked. Uh, there were, there were only two charcoal, this is interesting, there were only two charcoal fires mentioned in the Bible. Uh, one is here on the beach. The other is that fire that Jesus was, or that Peter was standing around when he denied Jesus. Two charcoal fires. One at the denial, one in, on this breakfast on the beach when Jesus is going to talk to Peter again. And then Jesus takes Peter uh, side by uh, side by side, one on one, and they start talking. All of that points to one major thing that that, that Jesus wanted uh, Peter and us, I think, to know through this story uh, around this meal, and that is this: failure does not disqualify you from following Jesus. Jesus offers forgiveness in the face of failure. I think that we need to hear that. I think somebody, I think many somebodies uh, today, perhaps even gathered in this room today, I think we need to hear that. Failure doesn't disqualify you from following because Jesus forgives us even in the face of our failure. So as Jesus talks with Peter, three different times he asked if, if Peter loves him, right? And, and uh, much has been made about that over the years with the specific Greek words. And, and uh, Jesus uses the word agape, uh, do you love me? And the word uh, Greek word agape is the God's holy, uh, other-centered kind of love, this perfect love. And uh, Jesus says uh, uh, uses that word the first two times. Uh, the, and Peter always responds with another word for love, phileo, which is more of a friendship kind of love, more of a side hug kind of love. Uh, yeah, I... Mm-hmm. Right, and so, so, uh, so there's much has been given uh, talk, talked about. It would have read if we could read Greek, and we can't, and and uh, that's okay. But it would have been uh, a bit like this. You go ahead and go to that next uh, next slide. Uh, so it would have maybe looked like this. Jesus would have said, uh, "Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me perfectly?" And Peter would have said, "Lord, you know that I fully. You you know that you know we're friends." Mm, side hug. 
And then Jesus says, uh, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me perfectly? This deep abiding, uh, selfless love, uh, this complete commitment. Uh, do you love me? And, and Jesus says, uh, or Peter says, Jesus, you know that I'm your friend. <clears throat> Side hug. And so then Jesus says, Peter, do you even <clears throat> side hug me? <laughs> and Peter's kind of put out because Jesus used that term and said, yeah, you know that we're friends. We're, yeah, we're friends. And, and, and that's how that reads. And, and, and there could be a lot to that. Uh, I think there is something to that. I don't think it's the main point. A lot of people have made a, a lot uh, about this, but I think it's important to note that, that we have, that Peter still has some growing up to do in his love for Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and through the course of, as we read about Peter, uh, through the rest of, uh, through the book of Acts and and uh, and beyond, we see that he did a lot of growing up in his love for Jesus, and so that's an interesting note to uh, to, to to see here in this in this scripture. Something else that that most a lot of people have made a big deal about in this scripture is when Jesus says uh, the first time when he says, "Peter, do you love me?" Uh, he, he actually tags on this phrase more than these. Uh, maybe you read that and you're going, well, what does he mean by that? Well, there could be three different things he means by that, right? Uh, Peter, do you love me more than, more than, uh, you love these other guys? So we're getting, there's a fire, uh, Jesus walks off with Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? You love me more than them. It could be, uh, that, that he's pointing to the fish. Uh, in a way, pointing to his former life, right? Do you love me more than this lifestyle, more than these fish, more than what these fish represent? Do you love me more than, more than your former lifestyle? Or it could be, do you love me more than these guys love me? Any of those could be a, a, an accurate uh, rendition of uh, or translation of, of what this, this scripture says. And, and maybe it's not all that important to figure out which one because all of them could be and maybe even should be true. You should love Jesus more than you love anyone else, uh, more than you love anything else, and, and in a sense, more than anyone else does. I, I, not not that, that our love for God is a competition. I love Jesus more than you do. That's not what I'm saying. But there should be no doubt of your love for Jesus, and it's, it's all-encompassing. And so all of those things are important. Those distinctions about the words for love, those distinctions about Jesus' meaning uh, of, of that phrase there uh, have some significance. But I think the real meaning of all of this is that, is that Jesus wanted to restore his relationship with Peter. All those things are great details and, and, and this story is a great one and they're gathered around in the fireplace and or the, the, the charcoal fire and all those things. It's, it's important. But Jesus went to great lengths. Uh, he caught fish. He cooked them. He, he baked bread so that he could connect with Peter over breakfast on the beach. I, I think it's as simple as this. Peter denied Jesus three times. <laughs> Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And restored him back, gave him the opportunity to come back to that relation. Jesus took all the steps toward Peter in order to restore the relationship. We need to hear this morning, failure does not disqualify us from following Jesus. Because Jesus offers forgiveness even when we fail. I don't know if you've disowned Jesus. 
There's, there's no doubt that you have, like all of us, that you have failed him at some point in your spiritual life. Maybe you've refused to obey him or you've gone against God's clear instruction in your life or, or you've tried to hide your relationship with him in some way. Maybe you've tried to keep it secret. The Bible tells the truth when it says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's best for us, fallen short of the glory of God. But over and over again, and this story is, is, a, is, is, is an important one, over and over again in Scripture, we see that there is hope. If there was hope for Peter and his failures, in the face of his failures, there is hope for you in yours. I think this story shows us clearly that, that Jesus doesn't reluctantly take us back. And I think maybe that's how we, we picture God sometimes. Oh, uh, we come to God, God, I failed, and, and oh, please forgive me. And, and it's almost like God's going, ah, you know, you've kind of messed up before. I don't know if I, I, it's not, that's not the picture of God that scripture tells us. Certainly not what we see of Jesus here in this story uh, around breakfast. Jesus doesn't reluctantly take us back. He's actually pursuing us and he's hoping that we'll take him up on his offer of forgiveness and, and be restored in that relationship, be reconciled to him. We see uh, uh, from this story there are a couple of things that will that will characterize our lives uh, if we uh, if our relationship with Jesus is on track because it's not just oh I failed oh no big deal Jesus will always take me back that's not what we're saying there are some things if, and Jesus is you know he drills down deep with three different do you love do you really love me do is this something that you're do you love me this isn't just oh go ahead and disown me tomorrow and I'll fix breakfast again next week. There are some things that characterize our lives as we take Jesus up on his offer of forgiveness, even in the face of our failure. One thing that we will do, one thing that will characterize our lives is that we'll serve. We will, we will serve Jesus. Every time Peter said, yes, you know that I love you, Jesus followed it up with an instruction, right? Uh, something like, feed my sheep or feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Jesus isn't a shepherd. Uh, well, he is, but he wasn't talking about physical sheep here, right? He's saying, serve me. Uh, take care of the people uh, around. Love me by serving the people around you. If you love me, you will serve. So part of what it means to take Jesus up on his offer of forgiveness in the face of our failure is that we will serve. Obviously, we've talked a, a lot about that today and have the chance to do that this summer. We have uh, multiple chances to do that uh, uh, around here in and through our church. Serving other people, helping other... You, you do it all the time in your families, extended family and friends. Helping other... It's part of who we are if we love God... We're going to be serving others. It's, it will characterize our lives. And, and then one other thing that we'll be doing, and it all kind of just feathers in together, uh, you'll, not only will you serve, you'll also follow. Two times in a few verses here toward the end of the story, Jesus tells Peter to follow him. It wasn't the first time that Jesus had told Peter to follow him. Ironically, maybe not so ironically, I think probably by design, on the shore of this same lake over three years previous to this breakfast on the beach. Could have been in the very spot. I don't know. We don't know where they were around the, uh, the, 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 the Sea of Galilee that day. Another miraculous catch of fish. Peter had, had gone out fishing and hadn't caught anything. And Jesus said, put your nets down on the other side of the boat. And they came back with this miraculous catch of fish and they towed it to shore. And, and, and Jesus said to Peter and James and John, and he said, you'll no longer fish for fish. You're now going to fish for people. 
come follow me. And they had, and they had seen miraculous things and they'd heard Jesus teaching and they'd grown close to him and they were, they were uh, part of this, this amazing movement of God as Jesus is moving and working in their lives. And, and, and so a whole lot of ministry and a whole lot of learning and a whole lot of growth had taken place between that first invitation to follow and this day on the beach. Jesus had been persecuted and, and, and crucified and, and resurrected. And now just a few days before he is to go back into heaven, Jesus reemphasizes to Peter that the instruction is still valid. Just because all of that stuff has happened doesn't change my initial invitation. G- Peter, follow me. Peter, you must follow me, he said the second time. Uh, just like you used to. I still love you more than you'll ever know, even in your failure. Just follow me because failure does not disqualify you from following. We know in Scripture that Peter did indeed follow. He was one of uh, the main uh, leader of the of the early church, uh, one of several leaders. It wasn't easy. He was persecuted. He was imprisoned. Historical accounts indicate that ultimately he was crucified, uh, but crucified upside down. Uh, some of the historical accounts say that, that he did not see himself worthy to be crucified like Jesus was, and so he asked to be crucified upside down. Uh, so, so, so Peter had, had, uh, had, had walked this hard road. And in that, he had faithfully followed Jesus and spread the gospel all over the known world of that day. He did indeed follow by serving because he loved his Lord with all of his heart. His failure, and it was big, it was a huge failure. He denied, he even knew Jesus. It was a huge failure, but that even that failure did not disqualify him from following because Jesus pursued him to the, sh- the shore of that lake that day and invited him back. And restored that relationship. I don't know what failure you might be struggling with today. What, what may be holding you back. Maybe there's something that you've done and, you, and you're stuck there. Or uh, maybe you're, you're thinking that something is disqualifying you. Jesus certainly can't love me because of... Well, there's no way that I can get past. Jesus does love you. He loves you more than you'll ever know more than you'll ever understand. And he wants to restore that relationship. He wants to bring you to relationship with him. He wants to say, come walk with me. Let's serve together. Let's, let's, let's make a difference in this world together. Failure doesn't disqualify you from following. Jesus wants to restore that. We, certainly, we've got we've to confess and, and we've got to uh, make a turnaround. And in that, uh, we, we, we step into a new life with Christ and, and we're serving him and and he's changing us from the inside out. I think through this story, more than anything else, and all the details are important and fun and great to look at, but more than anything else, uh, Jesus wants us to know today that failure doesn't disqualify us from following because he offers forgiveness even in the face of our failure. He wants us to follow and to serve others as we love him. Father God, you see all things and you see our hearts and you know our failures. Lord, so many times we let those things keep us from you. 
Lord, we, we know it's, it, it's not no big deal. Those things are uh, important and they do keep us from you. And yet you have provided everything that we need to, to get beyond those things and to live life with you, uh, life that is forgiven, life that is free as we follow you. Lord, I, I pray that you will help us, especially those who have indicated today, but, but, but all of us, Lord, I, I pray that you'll help us to to seek after you and allow you to speak into our failures. We all have them. <laughs> We've all failed. We've all, we all fall short. But it's your grace and your love that pursues us even in the midst of our failure and draws us back to being followers of the risen Christ. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, we will go knowing that we don't go alone but that we go walking with and following you. I pray that as as you lead us into this week, that you will restore us and and bring us new life and and new joy, maybe more than we've ever experienced before, as we seek after you and we follow you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.